Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Star Sound Speaks. This is your host, Irliana Samsara of StarsoundAstrology.com. So today we're going to talk about the Uranus retrograde in Taurus. So Uranus has been retrograde since last August, and it went retrograde, which again, it's about stepping back, right? It's the apparent backward motion of a planet in the sky when a planet turns retrograde. And this uh, Uranus is about, after about, spends, Uranus spends about five months in retrograde. Um, you know, it's an outer planet, so it takes a long time, like Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, they spend five, six months in retrograde. Now, why is this important? Why am I spending time on this today? Because anytime a planet is about to go retrograde, and when it's about to station direct, which means that it's finished its retrograde and it's now going to step back and start moving with the other planets, um, those are very sensitive points. And the, um, the qualities, the, 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 um, the messages that it's carrying for, that, for its sign, you know, Uranus and Taurus, the planet of revolution, chaos, in, innovation, genius, um, you know, world community, right? Technology, all of these things that Uranus represents, the, the liberation, Kundalini awakening, you know, these are all Uranus qualities. And, um, and in the sign of Taurus, which is about our values, what we value, whether it's our money, our personal possessions, our self-esteem, you know, the liberation of say old stuff patterns where we've maybe been holding ourselves back or not believing in our worth or our self-worth, not getting present to our genius. You know, these last several months have been a place where we can, that aspect of us, you know, is, is in retrograde steps back so we can look clearly and reflect on our progress. How are we coming in terms of these things? How we're reviewing our progress, the progress of, you could say our evolution in these areas. So when um, now that Uranus in about 10 days, no, wait, it's nine days, <laughs> it's going to station direct. So I'm giving you this heads up because um, this is a period where things could kick up. And as I have spoken in my previous episode and episodes about 2022, we have, um, especially looking at that April solar eclipse, April 30th, a real humdinger. <laughs> and um, the Uranus is in the mix now for the next year and a half with our eclipses because the eclipses are in Taurus and Scorpio, major endings, major beginnings regarding Taurus, Scorpio themed, Venus, Mars themed uh, areas. So with Uranus in the mix, that's the wild card, right? It's a basketball. It goes flying off the court into the stands and it bounces around and it's like, oh my God, you know, what? what out of bounds, right? The rule breaker, the systems buster, that's, that's Uranus energy. And so we always want to pay attention um, when, um, when a planet goes direct and a planet goes retrograde. So I'm going to show you what that looks like here. Um, let me pull up the screen, hold on just a second. Okay, I'm gonna show you courtesy of the good folks at cafeastrology.com. They, um, I love, I love pictures. I'm such a visual person, right? What do I do for a living? Look at pictures and numbers. Right? So uh, here we have the Uranus uh, retrograde, uh, stationary retrograde. And I like the visual, right? So I think of this as um, 
you know, when, when a planet enters the shadow zone, so in this case, last May 3rd, you see, it takes about a year to go from the shadow, like the shoulder of the highway, you know, onto the highway and then back on the shoulder and out. So May 3rd last year, it entered the shadow at 10 degrees, right? Enters the RX zone. So it's starting to slow down from May until August, August 19th, exactly. It went retrograde at 14 degrees of Taurus. And so if you have any planets at that point, um, or it conjunct, aligned with, or opposing, or squaring, you know, Leo, Scorpio, Taurus, and um, Aquarius, the fixed signs. If you had any planets, especially, you know, the fixed signs within a few degrees of 14 degrees, so it might be 11 degrees to about 17 degrees, uh, especially on the lower side, 11 to 14 degrees, you would have really felt this. And so this is when it went retrograde, right? So here's that little curve, it's that U-turn. And then of course it's been back, going back, we're reviewing, you know, it's moving in primary motion with the sun. So it has this very, you know, it, it's like we've been in meditation, reviewing, reflecting, um, contemplating the, the lessons and the progress we've made. And then here SD means station direct. So right here on the 18th of January, this is Eastern Standard Time, so please adjust your calendars accordingly. 8.26 a.m., Jijing makes that U-turn, slowly comes out of meditation, right? It's like you're rubbing your eyes, you're not out of bed yet, but, you know, you're getting there. Once it gets into, uh, after that, into 11 degrees, a few days later, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I can, I'm out of bed, my feet are on the ground, and it starts to move forward. And as you can see here, once it passes that 14, 48 point, It'll be May, 20, May 5th, and it'll be out of that zone, fully operational. Now it is direct back here, but like I said, it takes a few days to, you know, just like when you come out of meditation, you don't just jump up out of your, I mean, maybe if you have ADD, <laughs> you jump off your Zazen cushion and say onward, but you basically are thinking in that direction. So um, this is very important because the U-turns, the as I'm gonna call them, it's kind of like, you know, those um, stunt drivers that you see on like car commercials and they, or in a movie where somebody's in a chase and the car is racing across the desert or the Grand Canyon area and it's this wide open flat land and the car would make a hard U-turn and it sprays up all this dust into the atmosphere, right? It's like, ah! and it's loud and it's scary and it's very, you know, it's all this agitation and this dust flying. Well, that's the the energy of when it makes that U-turn. Here's the, here's the stun car, right? Right around there. And then again here, January 18th, now we feel it several days um, before, about 10 days before um, on January, um, on let's see, on actually on uh, uh, December 28th, it entered the 10 degree. The point at which it's gonna go direct is 10 degrees. So when the planet goes backwards and hits 10 degrees again, that's when we start feeling the effects very strongly. And then uh, Tuesday, February 8th is when it's going to move off that uh, 11 degree point. So you, it'll really start picking up steam after the 8th of February. And then again, February around February 5th, I mean, sorry, May 5th, it will Cinco de Mayo, easy to way to remember, it'll be out of its shadow. So um, that's that's an important, and any retrograde, this is, this is universal knowledge for any planet stationing retrograde, when you, that U-turn, that's when you feel it the most. And as you know, um, by the by, 
we are, um, you know, talking about uh, Mercury going retrograde, right? It's, it's actually going to be going retrograde um, this week. And I, I believe it's Friday. Let me, let me go see here. Uh, let me see. Mercury is going uh, February, um, sorry, January 14th. So in five days, it will be going retrograde at 10 degrees of Aquarius. But today we're not talking about Mercury. But like I said, these next few days, we really feel it strongly. Like the other day, my computer didn't load uh, when I turned it on. I'm like, oh no, Mercury retrograde. And then... It did, I had to stop it a couple of times. I had to stop and start, right? So there's, again, we feel it more strongly in that U-turn. So anyway, what I wanted to share was a, back to Uranus, right? So here we are, Uranus retrograde going back again. Here it is for the chart, Washington DC, January 18th. It is direct. And as you can see here, here's 10 degrees, 49 minutes. Here's Uranus, looks like a cell phone tower, I always say. And as you can see here, jing, see how it turns black? It's direct and it starts moving forward. So um, why is this important? Well, I wanna to talk to you today about philosophically about this. Um, a big heads up, what originally drove me and what I felt guided to share about was the, uh, the fact when Uranus is in Taurus, we're seeing earth changes, literally, right? Taurus is an earth sign. So, as we've seen all these out of control forest fires and mudslides and all of these earth related things, right? Um, floods and such, but especially with, um, and the electrical grid going down, right? Uranus rules electricity. So there's this rolling blackouts in places like California. And all of that stuff is very Uranus and Taurus. And so uh, when it goes in, into those, that U-turn, right? This is when this energy might kick kick up more. It'll certainly kick up around the eclipses because Uranus is only four degrees from the solar eclipse on April 30th. And again, opposing in, in November. And then again, May of 2023, it'll be four degrees from the sun. So you can expect some earth changes um, around that. Now, what else could we expect? Well, there's uh, on, the, um, on the positive side, it's also a Kundalini energy, Kundalini awakening. Uranus is about the future and it's, it's ETs and it's other dimensional out of the box thinking, right? Just, just genius thinking, uh, futuristic. So it's very, very connected with ETs. So could ETs land on the earth? Like what is the close encounters of the third kind? Well, Uranus and Taurus, heck yeah, that's very possible, right? Um, but uh, what I wanna really emphasize though is what are what is the what empowering things and tools can we do? What can we do, and what tools can we use to make this uh, time work on our behalf? So uh, it, it can be very unsettling. It can be you know this this a, a disruption in the food supply or the monetary system. It can it can cause it. It's definitely about getting out of our comfort zone, and it's also with with Taurus. You think about the senses, taste touch, smell, the material pleasures, right? Uranus is like saying, hey, what happens if those, that comfort zone and material pleasure gets taken away? Who are you gonna be? Uh, with, with Uranus in Taurus, also it could be suggesting maybe our sense world is connected to a higher dimension. So I think about, as a, as a yogini, I think about um, Kundalini awakening. 
the kundalini energy is an, the primal source of life. It, 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 it's a, it resists, it resists, it resides. <laughs> we can resist it, right? It resides at the base of the spine. And so with proper cultivation and patience and discipline with, you know, say yogic techniques, pranayam, yoga, asana, um, you know, very carefully cultivated spiritual practices, ideally under the, under the, under the, uh, tutelage or guidance of a fully realized master, right? You, you cultivate this energy slowly, but surely you do not do it quickly. You would, it would have catastrophic results. Case in point, the movie shine with Jeffrey Rush. I think he got an Oscar for that many years ago. It was like 20 years ago, Oscar winning film. Um, it was a true story about a, a, a young man in a, a piano prodigy. And he, was so brilliant, but his mother pushed him and he just went crazy. <clears throat> and so he had to heal himself. He just went off the rails. And so uh, what happened was, you know, his Kundalini was activated too quickly. They don't say that in the movie, but that's what happens when, when, um, when something, when, when we are pushed and pushed and pushed like that, if we push this, our, our desire to reach enlightenment and our desire to expand our consciousness, but do it too quickly or recklessly, which is another Uranus hallmark, right? Being impulsive and reckless, it can have catastrophic results. So yeah, we don't want to go there. Slow but sure wins the race, right? Uranus and Taurus, right? Slow and steady will get you enlightenment. Okay, there are some um, wonderful um, mantras and things and books that I want to share with you today. So um, again, just to review, this Uranus retrograde is about reviewing the progress progress we've made with our enlightenment, with our desire for enlightenment. What are you know? What can we do to tweak? This is this has been an opportunity to tweak what's been working, what's not been working, so that when it goes forward, we can you know move those ideas um, and practices forward. It's also about researching solutions, you know, innovative genius solutions for the Earth, like say solar panels or you know, so battery powered cars and, and, and such. It can also be a liberation on the inner planes, you know, discovering our self-worth, our unique self, the unique masterpiece snowflake. You're honest, right? No one like you in the whole world and getting in touch with our self-esteem and, and the things that are important to us. And that idea of, connecting with and embracing that there is no one else like you in the world. You are you, you do you, and the world is a better place. That's, that's really, uh, really, you know, what does it come down to, right? If we are all fully in our authentic selves, <laughs> that's pretty outrageous. That's, that's a world that's changed for the better. Um, you know, I could also say that, um, you know, practically, we see it as like a back to earth movement, right? Like, for example, um, bioengineering, uh, bioengineering, biodynamic gardening, the flip side would be with Uranus with technological progress, um, bioengineering, you know, we have on one side, we have bioengineering, genetic engineering, on the other side, we have biodynamic Rudolf Steiner, kind of um, back to earth, connecting with the earth, living off grid, innovation, innovative solutions for the climate crisis, for the environment, you know, so these are all topics coming up. We are reflecting on our technological advancement, you know, how much is too much? Um, are we replacing our earth senses with digital senses? Uh, when you think like 
I've mentioned before about meta, the metaverse that Mark Zuckerberg has introduced. You know, it's not about you don't touch, taste, or feel anything with your physical body. It, everything is projected through technology, and you create this world where you're this avatar, and you can make yourself look however you like. And but there's nothing real about it. We're not connected with our senses, and so that's a question. You know, how much of this do we want or what choice do we want to make in this area? Because if we are advancing and moving our Kundalini energy up and moving into higher states of consciousness, it's not involving technology in that fashion. Whereas a good use of technology would be, for example, you know, read, watching YouTube videos and chants and things. And I'm going to introduce you to a few uh, to get us going. You know, we can use it as a stepping off point, but we don't want to be overtaken that's that's the danger um this is what happened in atlantis right you read edgar casey's book on atlantis you, you know anybody who has written anything mystically about atlantis plato wrote about atlantis um would you know say look technology overtook everyone it became like the new religion so that is the the, the danger here right we have to look at that and make choices um, that will reflect and be uh, reverberate throughout society. Okay, so um, enough of that, right? So the uh, I would say some interesting. I was online the other day and I was looking at um, at some um, mantras and I came across. I didn't know this. It's so fun to learn about. I learn every day. Yoga. It'll take your whole life to. You, you never quit learning astrology or yoga. <laughs> it's a lifelong thing. Um, but um, there are some books and some mantras that I want to share with you. One of them was about, um, because I'm thinking about Uranus with earth changes, in order to be proactive, instead of being scared or, you know, kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, why don't we do some mantras? Uh, one mantra that I really was a very called, I, which I found online was, there is an uh, there are different Gayatri mantras. There's like the Gayatri mantra, which is like the mother of all mantras, and then there's a bunch of other Gayatri. I didn't know this. I have to have my my dear sister Shata Benavari back on. She was on a couple of years ago when COVID first hit. Shata, I need you um, because um, I didn't know there were all these different Gayatri. I thought there was just one, but apparently no. I was wrong. Um, Akasha, the Akasha Gayatri mantra is to call forth the ether, the space element, and that is for protection from natural disasters. So I'm like, um, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, sign me up to um, divert and be proactive with with um, with those things. So I'm going to post the links down below. And don't forget, like, share, subscribe, um, and you can. Um, because that really helps the channel a lot. But the Akaja Gayatri Mantra, protection from natural disasters. Let me just pull up that page real quick, hold on. Okay, I've got the page. So here's the page on YouTube. And this was a particular one I found, Vayu Gayatri Mantra to heal from breathing problems. Okay, so this one is seven powerful Gayatri Mantras for positive energy, three hours. So, um, this, and as you can see here, they give you a whole bunch, seven mantras on this album. The first is the Akasha Gayatri Mantra, protection from natural disasters. That's a very Uranus and Taurus, right? Then there's Agni. Agni means fire in Sanskrit. 
So just, you know, getting some fire going, what's fire light in the body, right? So this is good for anybody, right? Disposed for you, who needs Starbucks? You just get this Agni Gayatri mantra and there's your, dispel your fatigue. Uh, this is the Gayatri mantra. Uh, this is the mother of all mantras. Um, but this one, heal broken relationships. Hey, Venus just passed its Kazemi yesterday, guys, but that's another topic with another planet, but hey, good to know. Uh, number five, Bumi, the Bumi Gayatri mantra, perfect for building a new home. Well, my goodness, think of all those, we could pray for all those people who lost their homes in Colorado and, you know, at, at New Year's with the houses that burned down or people who lost their homes this year, uh, protection for our own home and for the most perfect home environment, we could say these mantras. Um, here's one, improving your breathing. Hey, we could all use this one in a COVID pandemic, right? Nothing like being proactive and creating higher frequencies of light using our breath and chant, Vayu Gayatri Mantra. And then this one is clearing out negativity from our home, Prithvi Gayatri Mantra. So there's seven here, but if you were to Google um, these, you would find lots and lots of great ones online. But I just wanted to call out that particular one to you. Okay, um, there are some books that I wanted to share with you. Um, there is, um, Let's see, I'm gonna go stop that share and I gotta pull up the books, hold on. Okay, I've got it right here for you. This book, uh, fabulous book, I read this years ago. It's a memoir by Michelle Small Wright, Behaving as if the God in All Life Mattered. This is a memoir of a woman who owned, uh, founded a, an intentional living center in Virginia called Perilandra. And she has the ability to see and communicate with the devas, the nature spirits, and the invisible forces of nature. So Uranus and Taurus, right? This radical Uranus approach to Taurus, nature and the environment coming from higher dimensions. This is, a, this is the opportunity being offered to us. So she's got great stories about all the experience she had communicating with the animal world in order to build this outrageous garden. And it wasn't about using Roundup, certainly not, you know, and all the typical chemicals that, that we, you know, as Americans and Westerners have been brought up to use, like this is the answer. And we know that they've had uh, severe ecological uh, consequences. Well, this is about going back to nature, not just going back to nature, but communicating in other worlds. So it's a great book to read. Another great book I will say is, uh, let me see, I'm going to pull up. Um, there's another, this, um, a book called, uh, oh, The Secret Life of Plants. That was another one that came to me. So let me show you what that looks like. It is, and there's apparently different, um, different editions, but this was written about 50, almost 50 years ago. It's a book by Peter Tompkins and Christopher Berg, and it's a sentient beings, plants as sentient beings. So that's another great one, The Secret Life of Plants, a, a real classic in, the, in its field. There's another book I, I found out called The Psychic Power of Plants with, by John Whitman. Let's see if we can pull that up one second. Okay, I think this one is out of print because when, anytime you see something being sold for $764, right? You might find some used ones here for 23 bucks. Very, it's back from the 70s. 
do plants have ESP? Well, you know, that's so 70s, right? But look, this is Uranus and Taurus, folks. That's when Uranus was in opposition, by the way. Now it is in um, with Uranus and Scorpio. But here we go, Uranus in Taurus. Do plants have an energy field blueprint? Will certain dances increase the growth rate of plants? So, you know, um, just another, you know, great resource. Intentional, if you Google intentional communities or intentional living, there are very, um, you know, lots and lots of resources, progressive farming. Um, I will tell you that uh, there is a great um, community called Findhorn. So the woman who, who um, opened Michelle Small, right, that I just told you about, opened Perilandra in Virginia, I believe it was the 70s. She um, based it on Findhorn, which is a very world famous, probably the most famous intentional community ever. And um, in, in, uh, that was founded in the early 60s. So it's actually in its seven turn. That's pretty darn amazing. Uh, let me pull this up here and show you. This is uh, the Findhorn Garden story. And I know it was started by what three people that they lost their job. It was like in the early 60s. No one had ever heard of environmental movement. It just didn't exist, right? But they, um, it was three unemployed hotel workers, Peter Caddy, his wife Eileen, and their friend Dorothy McLean. And um, they meditated together. And what they, I mean, it was outrageous, the, um, the, the uh, experiences that they, they write about. They've had documentaries about that. But what, they um, lost their job and they got this, um, they moved to this caravan park, like I guess an RV park. No soil there, right? You could imagine just sandy, nothing, no minerals or anything. But um, they ended up a lot of hard work, a lot of faith, a lot of prayer. They turned this, you know, just rough patch of sand into this real like paradise, right? Um, they just surrendered to divine will and they, um, they listened inside right, to their intuition, and they learned to speak with the plants. So nobody taught them this. This is all self-generated, speaking with the plants, helping them grow in this dry, barren soil that where nothing grew, and talking to the spirits, the divas, the nature spirits. And it's now, and it became, it became one of the most prolific uh, intentional communities in the world. Um, but what he found was he, he would get in as he, um, spoke with, with love, with love in with it, love in our hearts, you know, and really communing with the soil and the plants as we speak and as we work. This is, you know, for us to do. Um, huge worlds open up, flashes of inspiration, like it did for them. Um, believe it or not, they um, they also went into meditation and some very mystical experiences. Um, which again, this is very Uranian. This is why I'm bringing it up here. This is very, this conversation is completely astrologically tuned, not only with Uranus and Taurus in general, which is going to be for the next several, what, four or five more years. Um, how, but it's also, again, when it retrogrades, and then not only is it retrograding, turning direct, but it's also this particular year and a half with the eclipses there. So this is a triple whammy of how important this conversation is. I cannot emphasize it enough. We've got to change our views and open up and break out of the box of what it means to live on this earth.
and these stories inspired me and I my desire is that hopefully they they inspire you um, I'm going to share some here um, according to this uh, the mysticalquest.com the good folks there they talked about the uh, Peter and uh, it was a three people it was Peter and um, his wife Eileen and their friend Dorothy McLean this began in 1962 right they meditated together on their patio as they were working and um, one, at one point, Peter said that like connecting up negative and positive poles in electricity, the energy flowed through me into the soil. This work was transforming the area and creating an intangible wall of light, like a force field around the caravan. They call RVs, it's Britain. I think they call RVs, like what we call RVs, caravans. But anyway, again, the power of this divine will and commitment and look at what we can do. Um, they relied heavily on inner guidance from their source and many days meditated together. Sometimes they would write down the guidance. A um, lot of connection with nature, uh, celestial beings. They would... Um, ask them, you know, how do you want to be grown? Or, you know, I know in Michelle Small Wright's case, they say, oh, well, you know, don't plant in rows, plant in circles, the energy, you think about feng shui. So they were not about, you know, planting in, in rows. Um, everything was round and moving like the circle of life, but it's the communication with the devas. Um, and so again, you know, this, the, the idea of connecting in this way, uh, creating outrageous, results. I mean, we're talking about like they grew 40 pound cabbages. Think about it. A 40 pound cabbage. I mean, it's twice the size of a basketball. It's maybe like this big. You know? It's like, oh my God, 40 pound cabbage. Um, again, you know, this and, and roses. Roses would grow in the middle of winter in sandy soil. That's miraculous. Um, one, the only time I ever heard roses growing in winter was as a Catholic schoolgirl. We'd hear about stories of the saints and Bernadette of Lourdes when she was in her, the poor little peasant girl in this little, in Lourdes, France, in this very poor family. And they'd go to the grotto, this little grotto, and they'd pick flowers and whatever. It was a winter day, and she went over in the snow and found roses growing. So, uh, but she had been, you know, divine mother, Mother Mary appeared to her in, in this grotto and started talking to her, right? There's that otherworldly communication. And so she found flowers growing. That was the only, only time I ever heard this, but this is, this is real life. This is Findhorn people. They did it with their own will and commitment and their desire to connect on higher dimensions. Roses in the winter, you can do, right? So don't ever feel that, oh my goodness, this storm came and it knocked out whatever. It's like that energy, this, this destructive energy that we've been seeing with earth changes is just a wake up call to go, people, come on. You know, we, we can turn this around. We have to connect. It's like, God, it's like mother nature is screaming at us. Like, please, for the love of God, connect with nature. You're so divorced from it. You're, you've got your head in a cell phone all day, right? And, and now you're about to jump into the metaverse. Like, you know, I think we have to speak up. So that's what they're doing. But we have all these wonderful guides, documentaries, books, 
um, intentional living communities. Uh, I'll tell you a personal story. Um, this happened just about a month or so ago. I was out for a walk with my friend and we were walking down this little lane and there was this fence, a little like a little chain link fence in this, this house. It was late at night and there was no one around. And there were these, this beautiful garden. And um, here it is, December, and it wasn't, you know, the, the garden, there was a gardenia bush. Now, normally that only blooms in like May, June. And lo and behold, we actually saw a flower that was still on the bush. All the other flowers had died and, you know, broken off, but there was this one gardenia. So we went over to the plant. And you know, she found it and she, oh, look at this. So we smell the gardenia and the perfume. We're like, wow, this is amazing. Well, gardenia leaves are beautiful. They're very shiny. They're like waxy. They look like they're, they're all polished. So we were admiring the tree and we're like, wow, this is amazing. Well, then I kind of wandered off about 10 feet down was this other plant growing. I don't even know, I never saw it before, but this tall plant, orange flowers, and it was like a composite flower, but there's hundreds of tiny little orange flowers, but they all made a shape of like this pine cone shaped flower head, right? Composed of many little flowers. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I don't know what that is, but it's pretty cool. So I was, I, I said, hey, you know, check this out. Look at this, look at this flower. And it's standing about on a stalk and it's probably about mm, six and a half feet high, right? So I'm like, okay, that's, that's pretty amazing. But my friend called me back and said, no, 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 look at this. I found this flower. So I, I walked away from that tall thing, taller than me. Uh, I walked away, turned my back, went back to the gardenia and we're fussing over the gardenia. I'm like, oh, we love you. Oh my God, you're amazing. And we're giving all this attention to the gardenia, right? I turn around and go, okay, I want to show you. Hey, look, I want to show you this orange flower. So I turn around and lo and behold, that flower, I swear to you, that flower that was standing straight up, it went like that. It was at a right angle and it was sticking. It was like it's sticking its head out, like a horse sticking its head out over a fence, like pet me, pet me. Like, hey, you were paying attention to the other one, like fussing over the gardenia bush. Well, I want some attention too. I'm telling you, it was this high and it was down like two minutes later. 45 degree angle. And then when I came back, so of course we fussed over it. Then a few days later, I walked back at night. Guess what? Straight up. Pretty amazing. Um, a friend of mine who's a gardener, same thing happened to him. Uh, he, he had a, um, a banana tree growing in his yard and he made a note to himself, wow, this big giant leaf, you know, they're like five feet wide, right? Um, long. And he's like, well, this kind of is in the way of the path and the garden. So I'm going to have to make a note to myself in his head. He's made a note. Oh, I better remember tomorrow to go get my hedge clipper and clip that, that leaf away. So, that, so there's access. Well, didn't you, the next morning, that tree, that, that leaf that was out, it folded down flush with the trunk of the tree. Like it hurt it. So yeah, there, here it is. We have Findorn. It's in our fingertips, right? It's all intention. So I, I give you this as hopefully inspiration. All right. So we went over mantras. Um, you know, with Jupiter and Neptune coming together in the next few months, uh, peaking April 12th, but April into May, very powerful time. Jupiter, Neptune, and Pisces singing for sure. So you can sing, sing to the plants. Tell them how much you love them, be inspired by them, let them inspire you. 
songs, not drugs. <laughs> that would be a good uh, you know, caveat for Jupiter, Neptune, and Pisces. If you're depressed, just sing. This is going to be a great time to sing and receive inspiration. Um, but uh, anyway, so just to one more thing is um, talking about sound and mantra and singing, creating a force field of light, whether it's holy chant, Sanskrit, Hebrew, whatever, um, you know, whatever floats your boat, this is the opportunity for us. Um, I, I remember, um, I remember this one particular story years ago when I was studying Kabbalah, Kabbalah, the ancient body of Jewish mysticism and the Zohar, which is like the foundational text of, of this uh, particular branch of, of divine wisdom. Uh, there was a, a great story. It, it, the Zohar is written in Aramaic, which is Hebrew letters, flame letters, but it's, it's not he, the Hebrew language. Aramaic was actually the language that Jesus spoke. So um, this, the, uh, and the Zohar itself takes up, was it, I have a Zohar, 23 volumes, right? And it's all, and so people can scan the Zohar. If you know, um, if you know Hebrew, you can sing it. A cantor can, can chant the Zohar, right? So this, again, chant, mantra, very powerful force fields of light and protection. Well, I wanna share with you, this is pretty amazing. This is again, the power and the thinking ahead about earth changes and drastic weather changes and how this is the proactive conversation of how to create the world that we want, right? We don't have to buy into fear and getting all reactive. We can be proactive. So um, there is a great story that I read that I felt to share with you about that, the power of the Zohar, the power of chant, sacred chant, and the, the, the power of protection, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional protection, the force field of light that it creates. Um, it has to do with um, the, um, it was a story that I read, and if you can go and read it on kabbalastudent.com, this was an incredible story, and it was about in the Holocaust, there was, and I, I never knew this, you know, I grew up in New York. We knew all about the Holocaust. You know, New York City is the world's largest Jewish community, bigger than Israel, right? So we all know about the Holocaust. However, what I never knew, and probably most people don't, is that there were um, a group, a community of, of Jews that were spared the Holocaust. They were the only ones that were spared. And they were, um, they were Shephardic Jews. So quick story, there's Ashkenaz, Ashkenazi Jews, which were mostly in like Central Eastern Europe. And then Sephardic were the ones that settled in like Spain, Morocco, that area. Anyway, um, the, the thing was that um, most of the, virtually all of the Jews that died in the Holocaust were Ashkenazi Jews. Um, however, um, and this is, this is what was so interesting. There was a community of Jews in Morocco a Jew, there's a Jewish community in Morocco, and they um, they took the advice of this Kabbalist in the 1920s who felt, saw, intuited the Holocaust coming, that this grave, grave, as he called it, a black cloud hovering over the Jewish community in Europe, and to um, chant or, you know, read or scan the Zohar, to study it, read it, share it, you know, and just, you know, use that as a, a force field of light, I would say. So anyway, Rav Ashlag um, wrote this letter and basically it was ignored in the European community. 
However, there were people in the in Morocco, the Jewish community there, uh, they listened and they chanted it and they scanned it and they had like apparently like relay teams. Some people would scan, you know, it was like 24 seven, they were scanning, scanning it, meaning they would just look and they, they didn't know a word of it. They didn't understand it. They didn't have to, it's just sacred. It's from this other dimension. It's all flame letters, right? Language of light. So they would scan and their eyes going, of course the eyes have chakras, right? These, these holy vibrations going into the body, creating force field light, but then it's shared with everyone in, in this big community, right? So it's, it's now exponentially expanded, protecting this whole towns and communities in Morocco. And so they scanned it, they chanted it, you know, Lacanter, whatever, all the, these people were um, for like 24 hours a day. Um, were, were, were chanting. Apparently, according to the uh, former mayor of Jerusalem in the city of Casablanca, there was this man named Andre Churaki, Churaki sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Um, he was the former mayor of Jerusalem, he used to live in Casablanca, and he said in this book that people chanted the Zohar 24 hours a day in Casablanca without understanding a word. And they meditated and they did this, they organized themselves in relay teams. So they were definitely committed to being proactive with this prophetic vision that Rav Ashlag had about this coming disaster, right? So they decided get proactive, right? And so they were at least five locations in the city of Casablanca where they chanted and scanned the Zohar. Nobody had a problem with it. Everybody loved it, all the rabbis, everybody. And there's, you know, this is also a Muslim country. So they escaped. But what happened was um, Field, uh, Rommel, Field Marshal Rommel, the Nazi general, when the Nazis tried to overtake Morocco in, you know, how Hitler had made inroads in, in Northern Europe, I mean, sorry, in Northern Africa, um, but the um, Rommel rolled into town with his trucks and tanks and um, he went to the King of Morocco and demanded that, that he hand over the Jews in his, there's 250,000 Sephardic Jews in Morocco, right? So he said, you know, they got to go. And what did the, um, you know, the, you, you got Nazis, right? With guns and tanks, right? They're telling you to get out. And what did the king say? Thank you for sharing. You know, he didn't say it perfectly like that. No, actually what he said was, he, he told him, no, there are no Jews in Morocco, only Moroccans. And what did, what happened? Do you think they shot him or they created chaos? No, they left. They left. They didn't fight. They didn't shoot. They didn't create violence. They just left. And that was, of course, they were the genocide of the Jews. That was their, their order, right? To do this. And they just, and nobody ever like held him accountable. They just, they just left, right? That doesn't make sense. Right, but this is where we're in that mystical realms, we are beyond the realms of logic. So again, the power of sound and sacred chant to proactively use these things. Interesting, when you think about it too, at that time, Uranus was in Taurus. This is the Uranus return of the 1930s into 1942. So this is, that was the last time Uranus and Taurus, right? This, this chaos that was averted you going into the mystical, we avert this chaos, 
So what channel do you want to be on is basically the question. Which, which channel do you want to tune into the chaos channel? Or do you want to tune into the illumination, enlightenment, self-realization channel? You can't have both. <laughs> you got to pick which dial you're going to tune into. So um, anyway, that's, that's all I really want to share with you today. The last thing is um, to, um, here's a, a great song, which is very Uranus and Taurus. And it's about, um, it's, it, it was a song written by a guy named Billy Thorpe in, I think it was in the 1970s. It was like a one hit wonder. He's no longer, he's off the planet. He left in about 2007. He was an English born Australian pop star. And he had, um, he had a few successes, but I think the, maybe the most famous one was this song called Children of the Sun. So think Uranus and Taurus. I'm gonna speak, I'm gonna share the lyrics here with you. Um, Children of the Sun, okay. People, so remember Uranus, otherworldly ET, right? Your earth, Taurus, earth. People of the earth, can you hear me? Came a voice from the sky on that magical night. And in the colors of a thousand sunsets, they traveled through the world on a silvery light. The people of the earth stood waiting, watching as the ships came one by one setting fire to the sky as they landed, carrying to the world children of the sun. All at once came a sound from the inside. Then a beam made of light hit the ground. Everyone felt the sound of their heartbeat, every man, every woman, every child. They passed the limits of imagination through the doors to a world of another time. On the journey of a million lifetimes with the children of the sun, they started to climb. No more gravity, nothing holding them down, floating endlessly as their ship leaves the ground. Through the walls of time, at the speed of light, fly the crystal ships on their celestial flight, on their celestial flight. I just love that. So, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed that and got value from our little chat. Please tell me, you know, what you think of this and share anything you like. We love hearing from you. I'm always so, so grateful uh, for your support and all your comments. Um, so leave that in the comment box below. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And um, anyway, so thank you all so much for listening. This is Irliana Samsara of starsoundastrology.com. Star Sound Speaks. Have a great, wonderful, Fantastic week. Namaste.